Hello and welcome to this week's My News Wrap, news from the world of SAP, Microsoft and the world in between. After my one week vacation break, let's get started again. I'm highly energized and with some news from the area of the business technology platform. So, um, Murali Jangmuhan posted two blog posts in the, in the recent weeks that I want to highlight. Um, first one is about the account model on the SAP Business Technology Platform. So how is the Business Technology Platform um, model structured with respect to global accounts, sub-accounts, directories? How do those um, pieces come together? Um, especially uh, the, the, the new features that are available with the so-called feature set B that you might have within your tenant or not. If you have, if you are on trial, you usually have one. Um, yeah, if you if you wrap your head around that, how to structure your account, then I think this is a very good starting point in order to make uh, further decisions and to get an overview what's in there. And then um, another blog post by Murali about architecting solutions on SAP BTP with respect to the aspect of um, high availability. So how can you design solutions that are high available um, with respect to, I think, two topics, the, the cross-region failover and the in-country failover. Um, what can you do? What um, things can you um, leverage in order to do that? However, there is one thing that you have to keep in mind, which is a bit left out and which is mentioned in the comment um, within the blog post. Um, also, this is a description how to do that. The uh, topic of persistency is kind of a bit left out, um, especially when it comes to HANA, because if you have HANA, you have to um, think about a bit more things in order to ensure the high availability. Um, even with, with HANA Cloud. But that's, I guess, something for maybe a future blog post by Murali. Then um, another topic that I would, uh, or another blog post that I would like to um, highlight um, is about a new landing page that's available for customers of the BTP in order to have an overview, or not only of the BTP, of customers of SAP. Um, in order to have an overview about the identity authentication and identity provisioning tenants that they have. Because if you have several solutions by SAP, cloud-based solutions, uh, you might quickly lose the overview about your IIS tenants, and especially who's responsible for that and what type of tenant is it. Now, this um, central landing page kind of gives you uh, a mitigation for that problem that you will that you will definitely run into. Um, with that, another topic from the area of business technology platform, namely from the Kima environment, Gaurav Habi um, brought out a blog post about uh, cloud events or the cloud events SDK, Kima and this SAP event mesh. So this blog post really um, quickly guides you through how to um, produce or raise um, cloud events from Kima and how to consume cloud events within Kima, making use of, on the one hand side, the Cloud Events SDK, and on the other side, um, the SAP Event Mesh. So if you're working with that type of events, or if you want to work with this type of events, 
that's quite a nice starting point. And with that, um, I would like to switch to the Microsoft part of the house, namely to, of course, first of all, Azure Functions. <clears throat> there is one um, nice blog post that I would like to highlight around Azure Functions in Go. So uh, making use of the uh, custom handler functionality of Azure Functions in order to provide um, Azure Functions in a language that is not, let's say, officially supported by um, Microsoft. And in this case, it's Go. So um, how to write, this, this article basically describes how to write a, um, a serverless web API with Go and um, the framework Jin, which is a, a mini web framework for, for um, Go. Uh, and it, it really guides you through all the steps. So it's a very um, very detailed blog post and especially also some, some important topics are highlighted like um, uh, cross-compilation because um, <clears throat> currently the, the custom handler stuff is only supported on uh, Linux within Azure. So on, on Linux OS um, within Azure Functions. So if you want to dive into the topic, if you are, if you would like to, to implement uh, functions in Go, that's, I think, a quite good starting point. Then another announcement by um, the Azure Functions team from Microsoft about um, performance improvements around durable functions for Python. So they uh, tweaked and updated the um, SDK for Azure Durable Functions, and they made huge performance improvements when it comes to typical um, durable function scenarios like uh, fan in, fan out, which is described within the blog post. And what's also cool, and that's kind of a highlight for other durable function users, especially in the area of JavaScript and TypeScript, the improvements that were done with respect to um, the performance of the Python <clears throat> durable functions can be transferred to JavaScript and TypeScript SDKs. So this is something that they are currently working on. So we can expect in the hopefully not too far future, huge performance improvements in the area of JavaScript and TypeScript when you use durable functions. That's cool from my perspective. Okay, so <clears throat> next topic, um, a little bit of application of uh, functions and um, cloud native development with respect to security assessments. So there is a, a project that was called uh, Cloud Katana that was open sourced now by Microsoft and is making heavy use of Azure functions behind the curtains. And the blog post that I referenced is um, yeah, guiding you through um, the design and architectural decisions behind Cloud Katana, how things work um, from a design time perspective, from a runtime perspective, and where the single bits and pieces of um, um, Azure come together. The, let's say, business content behind Cloud Katana is to assess security controls for um, cloud deployments or hybrid deployments. However, <clears throat> currently the, the focus is um, Microsoft Azure. So no AWS or GCP or something like that. But according to the blog post, this is something that will come.
Now from the serverless world to the Kubernetes world, there is one um, YouTube short playlist that I would like to highlight <clears throat> about AKS um, by uh, Pixel Robots or Richard Hooper. Um, it's already quite extensive playlist um, about different different topics around AKS, and all the the videos are really short, so there are approximately less than than one minute all of them, and they tackle absolutely different topics like like Kida, like um, Azure Defender, uh, how to manage downtimes, and so on and so forth. So this is definitely a, a cool uh, stuff. How to do things, how to present things. I really like that. Um, in general, if you have not yet subscribed to um, the YouTube channel of Pixel Robots or to his Twitter account and to his Twitter account, I think if you're working in the area of Kubernetes, if you're working in the area of um, AKS specifically, then this is definitely worth to take a look at. Then, um, yeah, some more stuff around Kubernetes. Um, one uh, GitHub repo that I would like to highlight is about Kubernetes external secrets. So how to bring in external um, secret management solutions into Kubernetes like, like uh, HashiCorp Vault or AWS uh, Secrets Manager. Um, if you want to do that, if you want to leverage that, this GitHub repo that I referenced in the show notes about Kubernetes external secrets might definitely be helpful for you. And then in the last session, I highlighted the um, OPA, the so-called Open Policy Agent, which is a policy agent for Kubernetes. And if you want to get started with that one, there is another GitHub repo that kind of serves as an, let's say, entry point of all things around OPA. So uh, toolings, frameworks, and uh, articles, blog posts, all around that um, OPA topic. So if you want to wrap your head around that topic, this GitHub repo that I've referenced in the show notes might be really helpful for you. And then um, finishing the uh, Kubernetes part um, and the, the container section, there is also one blog post that I would like to highlight about signing your containers. So um, this is I think especially, but not only, in the open source area, very important because it, it builds some trust when you when you sign your containers. And this blog post guides you through and how to do that, making use of Arcade, Cosign, and uh, Go Releaser for um, a CLI binary and also for containers. So if you want to do something like that, quite cool starting point in order to get an overview how to do that, at least one option how to do that. Now, from containers and Kubernetes to the area of DevOps. So, um, first things first, uh, Azure Bicep or Bicep. Um, there is a really cool blog post by Barbara Forbes about one specific aspect of Biceps, namely the use of for loops. So this is something that you definitely will come across. And... Um, it's something that that um, maybe you stumble across. So this blog post gets you help by um, 
showing you what types of for loops are available and how to apply them within Bicep. So definitely something worth looking at. Then um, switching to uh, GitHub and the area of DevOps, there is one thing, kind of a service announcement that you probably have already stumbled across. So currently, um, or as of August the 13th, I have to say, um, GitHub no longer accepts um, a password-based authentication when you do Git operations. So you have either to use an, an SSH key or a personal access token or, or something else, um, but you are no longer allowed to use um, passwords. Now, um, this is kind of the, the first step in order to make the authentication stuff more prominent and to make um, your GitHub account more secure, but you can do more, for example, to factor authentication. And this blog post that I've referenced guides you through what you can do even more in order to improve your security. Um, of course, to factor authentication and also verification of um, commits are described in here. And then another announcement that is really cool from my perspective, also from GitHub, and that's GitHub Discussions is now uh, GA, so it's out of beta. If you have not yet stumbled across that, it's definitely something worth looking at from my perspective. So uh, before that, you basically had a wiki and you had issues and the discussions could take place in the issues, but it was kind of a, of a misuse if you had more general questions or if you had more general feedback. I mean, you, you could somehow get that in, especially now making use of the, the uh, templating um, within the issues. But in order to really do collaborative things within GitHub, that's where discussions kick in. And that's a really super nice feature from my perspective. You can also vote there. You can, you can do a lot of other things. And this um, blog post guides you through what's available now and what's coming in the future. Now with that, from DevOps to some miscellaneous options, uh, miscellaneous stuff around uh, cloud native development, let's put it that way. First of all, uh, let's say a call for help or a call for contributions from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. So the Cloud Native Computing Foundation has a glossary and it wants to update that, it wants to make it more concise. And what they did is they um, created issues within the corresponding GitHub repository of CNCF. So CNCF glossary issues. You find a lot of issues around the definition of basic terms of cloud native computing, of cloud native computing, um, like uh, infrastructure as a service, like functions as a service, and so on. And you can contribute there. You can bring in your ideas um, um, and and make this glossary. Perfect. So if you would like to contribute, that's the way to go. And then another news from the area of, um, of Microsoft uh, and yeah, really cloud-native computing. Um, there is now a private preview for a very special feature for Cosmos DB. And that's um, data distribution with hierarchical partition keys. Now you might say, <clears throat> Pooh, that's a really a special topic. Mm, yes and no. Um, when you use Cosmos DB and you want to use it in a um, in a multi-tenant scenario, you might run into issues with respect to partitioning Cosmos DB. 
because you you can partition it by by tenant then in a multi-tenant scenario, which will give you some drawbacks with respect to um, the, the scaling of your partition. Or you can kind of um, yeah do a workaround with respect to partitioning, um, which will then give you some drawback with respect to the read performance and the read or the, the query performance and the query costs. And now with hierarchical partition keys, all of these issues are overcome. Um, unfortunately, currently only in, in private beta, but if you are interested in that topic and if you have run into those limits, then that's something uh, you should take a look at. Now, with that, let's switch to the world in between SAP and Microsoft. And um, first of all, I have to catch up with the um, SAP on Azure podcast. Um, there was one session during my vacation about the SAP success factors and the Azure Active Directory integration. Um, this is the second part. So there are now two videos available on that topic within the SAP on Azure video podcast that, that guide you through that um, stuff. Quite not surprising um, because the document is also super, super extensive on the topic. So would have, I would have been surprised if that would have fit within one one hour session. So now there are two. And then um, there's also some update on uh, the Azure Synapse pipelines and OData by uh, Bartosz Jakowski. It's now already uh, part six of his blog post series that is available. Um, and after the first five parts, he's diving now into more complex topics like um, delta extraction of data, um, which is necessary in order to have a reasonable throughput, but it's also something that's yeah not, not trivial. And fitting to this blog post that came out this week, um, there is also a new edition of the SAP on Azure video podcast uh, that came out, surprisingly, with Bartosz Jakowski on exactly this topic. So um, if you're using uh, this, this pattern of this Azure Synapse pipelines, um, definitely worth watching, I would say. And then another blog post by um, Martin Pankratz which uh, the title may be a bit misleading when you read the first part. Uh, .NET speaks to OData2, um, or that .NET speaks OData2, pardon me, um, which is not super surprising, but uh, the blog post goes much more into the depth and really read the complete title. It's how to implement Azure App Services in conjunction with SAP Gateway. And as usual, high quality content, guiding you through um, different setup scenarios, um, combining the, the SAP Gateway with um, Azure App Service and the Azure API management. From, from the perspective of different personas, like external users that want to access the data or uh, internal users within a VPN or even the mixed case. And this blog post guides you through how to set up things and how to implement the .NET client with um, .NET 5. What is left out within this blog post is the area of authentication. <clears throat> um, so, so an in-depth discussion of the area of authentication. Um, but there is a spoiler within the blog post that um, 
there will be another blog post about that about that topic and really focusing on that um, topic specifically because that's simply too um, yeah really something of its own and Martin Rappler will bring out a blog post about that one. Then um, with the world of SAP and Microsoft or the world in between, we will now switch to the learning area. Um, first of all, I want to highlight one blog post that came out on InfoQ about GitHub's journey from Monolith to Microservice. So that's really interesting read. What was their journey and what were their obstacles? What did they learn? How did they overcome the obstacles? So really, really, really nice and worth to read. Then <clears throat> another topic, um, if you want to learn something new, maybe you want to learn Rust. And Microsoft brought out a new um, beginner series with the introduction to Rust. It's available on YouTube. It's available on Channel 9. So if you're interested in the topic, that's the way to go. Then um, let's switch to the last section of my news rep, namely developer productivity. There is one thing that I would like to highlight, and that's a little piece of command line magic when uh, calling uh, Visual Studio Code. So you can open up Visual Studio Code and automatically open up a diff of two files by keying in code minus minus diff, file one, file two, and Visual Studio Code will open up and bring up the diff. I didn't know that. Super cool feature from my perspective. Then, <clears throat> last thing for today, an announcement. GitHub Codespaces is general available. Now, before you switch to your um, GitHub repo and try that out, unfortunately, up to now, um, GitHub Codespaces are only available for GitHub Teams and GitHub Enterprise Cloud customers who can now use um, Visual Studio Code via their, their web browsers, making use of a, of a really fully fledged development environment. I'm quite sure um, some things will also come up with respect to um, other um, um, GitHub types, so besides Teams and, and enterprise cloud customers, but I think it's it's fair to say that those are the, the primary customers of that of that stuff. So it's quite reasonable to make this available for, for them. And in the same context, there is also a blog post by GitHub themselves and why their engineering teams and how their engineering teams moved themselves to code spaces. So what were their problems in the past and how were they mitigated by making use of code spaces? So Really interesting um, read how they did things. With that, I am at the end of today's session of my news web. As usual, I hope I had some interesting news for you, some stuff to read, some stuff to catch up. And with that, I wish you a nice Saturday, a nice weekend and a successful week until next Saturday. Till then, bye.